Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McAllen. Before we get into today's show, I have an announcement to make. Sonar Interactive has just released a new game called Blind Cricket. It's the world's first accessible cricket game for the visually impaired. Blind Cricket has had over 3,000 downloads. For more information on Blind Cricket, go to speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. Just click on List of Episodes and Show News. Now back to today's Speaking Out for the Blind show. The Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C. offers the fabulous America Insight verbal description tours for the blind and visually impaired. They're filled with lavish verbal descriptions and sensory experiences of the museum's art collection. The docents give the America Insight tours to the blind and visually impaired visitors. There are also touchable sensory components. And to top off the tours, the live musical performances take place at the Smithsonian American Art Museum's Courtyard. Carol Wilson is the Smithsonian American Art Museum's Lunder Education Chair. National Public Radio, or NPR, says that Carol trains dozens of volunteer docents for the America Insights program. Carol comes to Speaking Out for the Blind today to talk about the America Insight Tours and how people can take them. She'll also be calling for new volunteer docents to give the tours, so you may be one of them. Docent Edmund Bronder also joins us to elaborate on the tours. Welcome to the show, Carol and Edmund. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's great having you here, too. Before we get to the tours, Carol... We want to learn more about you. What do you do as the Smithsonian American Art Museum's, or SAM's, Lunder Education Chair? And what is your objective? Okay, sure. Um, I've been the Chair of Education here at the American Art Museum at the Smithsonian for almost 12 years. Uh, before that, I worked at a contemporary art museum in the Smithsonian. So I really always had an interest throughout my career of connecting people with art uh, and helping people engage with the stories that art can tell. Um, and I grew up in a suburb of Boston in Watertown, Massachusetts, where the Perkins School for the Blind is located. So um, I sort of grew up around uh, populations of people that were blind. My dad worked with some of these uh, groups, um, you know, for some annual events. So it's sort of something that's always been an interest of mine to collect, to connect people with visual impairments, um, with how to experience art. Um, so that's really what my objective is in working with this program here at the museum. We serve a lot of different audiences here uh, at our museum. We have a program also in sign language for uh, deaf visitors, and we serve thousands of school children a year who come through our doors for school tours. Uh, we work with teachers, adult learners, so it's really about um, giving people the tools they need to look at art and to experience our collection. That's exciting. And what about you, Edmund? What do you do as a volunteer docent? I do pretty much the same thing that Carol talked about, at least basically, and that is whether you are a grade school uh, student or an adult, whether you're 
an old or a young visitor, whether you are sighted or uh, visually impaired, the basic thing that I think we all do and that I do is try to take the art and make it as accessible to all visitors as possible. And to me, one of the basic things to do that is, first of all, to listen to what the visitor has to say and what she or he um, asks about and comments about. And usually, once we get that conversation going, the hour passes very, very quickly. And it does pass quickly indeed, and these are quite rewarding roles. Carol, NPR says that you train the volunteer docents to give the America Insight Tours to the blind and visually impaired museum patrons. How do you pick the docents, and how, how are they trained to describe each of the fabulous artworks to the museum attendees? Okay, sure. Uh, well, our docents, we have a very robust core of docents who are all volunteers um, who are really dedicated, as Edmund said, to sharing experiences and artworks with our visitors. Um, we have about 130 docents right now, um, and they go through a rigorous training process uh, of almost two years where they learn not only about all the objects and artists in our collection, but how to engage visitors with those objects, whether they're school children or adults. Um, in D.C., we get a lot of tourists or foreign visitors, um, but we also get very knowledgeable visitors like art collectors and artists. So as a docent, you really have to have a range of, of, of techniques in your tool belt for engaging visitors of all kinds. So the training is, is very rigorous um, for the docents. Once they are fully uh, certified as a docent and giving tours to the public, um, then we asked a group of our, of our active docents who among them would be interested in giving tours, um, such as the verbal description tours. And so we have a small group of about 8 to 10 from our core that have really dedicated themselves um, to perfecting this process. Um, and that we've done some separate training uh, for verbal description and for working with blind and visually impaired visitors. We had a great one-day training with some educators from the Museum of Fine Arts Boston who came down for the day, they have a very robust program up there, and they came down and spent the day with us and really um, gave us a lot of tips about how to do verbal description. Um, and we did a lot of practice, a lot of seminars where docents were able to practice their techniques on each other uh, to really see what works and, and what doesn't when you're describing works of art. Um, and, of course, any techniques you use in verbal description are, are techniques that any docent or any person can really use, um, even if they're, they're sighted or partially sighted, uh, to talk about works of art. So a lot of it has been, you know, practice and sort of learning on the job also, trying things and seeing what works. Studying the art and learning how to describe it to everyone. Yes. This sounds like a very good training process, Carol. What yes. advice would you give our listeners if they want to try some verbal description techniques to help describe art to the blind? Uh, I guess, you know, one thing that Edmund said, you know, really resonates across the board is really listening to your audience and communicating with them the whole time that you're, you're with a visitor. Um, all of our visitors have different needs and different backgrounds when they come in. So uh, not assuming that, you know, a blind person or a visually impaired person needs uh, one sort of set of experiences, but rather talking to them, you know, as your tour with them evolves to really continue to check in with them and see what they need. Are they understanding, you know, the way that you're describing something? Do they need more description in one way or another? 
um, really just keeping those lines of communication open um, and also, you know, really speaking to their mind and engaging their mind. Um, you know, of course, seeing a work of art visually is the only one way to experience it. And we really try through this program to open up those other avenues of experience for people um, that perhaps can't see a work of art but can certainly experience it in other ways. Very good avenues. Edmund, let's talk about some of the highlights of the tours. NPR says that on one of the tours, a docent discussed a small bronze sculpture called Girl Skating. It was created by the artist Avastenia St. Ledger Eberly in 1907. How do you describe the blind sculpture of this spirited, sympathetic portrayal of a little girl who dashes forward on not two, but only one roller skate? One of the ways I go about doing that, uh, Brian, is to spend just a, a, a minute or so talking about the artist and, in this instance, her background. Uh, Everly was from Iowa and came to New York City uh, and really began her sculpting career in the city. One of her principal's concern was the poverty that was evident on the streets of Lower Manhattan in particular. So she chose this uh, young girl as a kind of uh, symbol of the, of the plight of many children on the Lower East Side. The second thing that I always mention is the size of the sculpture itself. And so if you can imagine, this is about a foot high and about a foot wide and maybe seven inches deep. What I try to do is something that Carol alluded to a minute ago, and that is to kind of play upon the senses, encourage the senses of the visitor. They may not be able to see, but they can imagine how this young girl would be. She is obviously poor because her dress is very shapeless and rather tattered. She only has one skate, an indication of how poor she must be. But the joy on her face, it's just amazing. What I would do, particularly if this were a younger visitor, I would encourage the younger visitor to try to imitate the posture of the young girl skating. She has both of her arms fully extended horizontally, and her head is slightly tilted backward, and she has a great smile. Her mouth is open as if you were just kind of flying down a hill in the freedom and the joy of the moment. Yes, she is poor, and yes, her outward appearance might indicate that, but there is something transcendent about this image that I think goes to the heart of what the sculpture is about and what Everly's intent for this piece is. That description is very helpful and specific for the blind. According to NPR, blind people have the opportunity to sometimes touch the incredible artwork with latex-free gloves. This is quite unusual since the public isn't allowed to touch artworks. One of the artworks that the low-vision visitors can touch is a special sculpture called Water Carrier Hugo Robus. One sixth grader who visited the museum touched the female figure, and she made this remark that the sculpture was pregnant. Carol, what made the student say that? That's an interesting example. Yeah, on rare occasions, we can let visitors with gloves touch certain pre-approved sculptures. It doesn't happen all the time, but on rare occasions, it is uh, a wonderful addition to the experience for someone that's completely blind. 
um, you know, and it can have that tactile experience. For this particular sculpture, it's a female sculpture that this young student was feeling um, the various body parts and seeing where the head and the arms were posed in relation to the rest of her body. And it's a semi-surrealist sculpture in that instead of having a head, the sculpture has a pitcher, a water pitcher, where the head would be. So the student was trying to figure that out and moving, you know, the hands down. And when she felt the sort of belly of the sculpture, it has a rounded appearance. And the student thought, oh, this, uh, this, this woman is pregnant, which was really a, real, a very insightful remark because a lot of artists, even throughout the ages, have alluded to female fertility by creating an enlarged or rounded belly, even if the sculpture wasn't of a person who was actually pregnant, just that idea of the roundness uh, in that part of the body indicates fertility or female um, capacity for reproduction. It was just a wonderful observation that many people who are sighted and see that sculpture never pick up on. So the fact that this student was really able to experience that through this through this uh, this tour, I thought was just wonderful. You learn a lot from the visitors. You sure do. <laughs> you sure do. And now I think we've talked enough about sculptures today. We gotta talk about paintings, cause this is an art museum. First, the authentic painting called Cafe by William H. Johnson. Edmund, how does the colorful painting show the man and the woman, woman having a drink together in an actual jazz cafe? How does the painting portray the time period? William H. Johnson was an artist of African American brown. He was classically trained. He spent much of his time abroad trying to get at what he wrote about as portraying the spirit of the people, the essence of the people. And, and kind of ironically, it took him until he got back home in New York, in Harlem, to kind of really explore this topic. It's a painting of two people, a man and a woman, seated at a cafe. Obviously, they're out for the night. They're having a drink. The colors that Johnson uses are very bright, very vibrant, very bold, uh, very much like other paintings that were done at this time. And what he is portraying is life in, in Harlem among African Americans roughly f after, say, after the end of the 1920s and uh, 1930s. It's a period piece, but it is also very, very expressive of the ordinary life that two people can be enjoying together. The other thing about the painting is that it's almost thematically cut in half. Above the table, there are these two figures. They're seated, they're looking at each other, and they're enjoying the scene, but they're kind of still below the painting, below the table, their legs and other limbs are kind of intertwined, and there is a great deal of activity below the painting, which kind of adds a a slightly uh, a humorous tone to the paintings. It's a, it's a great painting, and it's very, very typical of Johnson's work. Very typical, yes. And second, Edmund, how do you bring the painting of a young woman playing piano to life? I hear that it actually involves playing the piano. Yes, that's another painting. Uh, the, the title of the work is Improvisation, and it's by Child Hassam, who was the American artist who introduced Impressionism to many American viewers. The scene is of a young woman seated at a piano, and her hands are extended over the upper range of the keyboard. 
And what I try to do is to play, for example, I'm using Debussy's Arabesque now as an example. It's a, it's a piano piece that really is centered on the upper ranges uh, of the keyboard, right where her fingers are located. And so the visitor, I think, gets a sense not only from the music of how it sounds, but of her engagement with it. And that's really the key, that she is very tuned into the music. There's no one else in the painting. She's there by herself. There's no sheet music on the piano. Uh, it's a baby grand. And so she is really playing uh, from memory. And it's it, to that extent, it is a very private moment, which the artist invites us to uh, to look upon and share. Uh, the, the piece seems to, people seem to be, uh, visitors seem to like to hear the music because by their own responses, it helps them identify uh, with the piece itself. Very nice, Edmund. Tell us more about some of the additional paintings that are part of the tours. Some of the other paintings that I think all of the docents use, I, I as well, are uh, Baseball at Night, which is a, a mid-1930s piece by Morris Cantor, and it shows a, a, a game uh, in progress. There's a Jacob Lawrence work titled The Library, which is a semi-abstract piece. And again, it, it shows very much like Johnson, uh, African-Americans in a library intently studying about their past. <clears throat> there is a an, an early colonial uh, painting titled Mrs. George Watson. <clears throat> this was painted by John Singleton Copley in 1765. And what a number of us do to describe that painting is use a line drawing. It is a, a, a drawing that has raised edges to it, and we give that to the visitor, and that helps them follow along with the verbal description. Again, all of these things, whether they're uh, pieces of canvas or silk or line drawings or music, are basically um, elements that are intended to enhance the verbal description. Excellent paintings. Carol, after the tours, I heard that sometimes there are superb live musical performances located in the museum's courtyard. Mm -hmm. What are some of your past best performances? Oh, yeah. So we have a program at the museum called Take Five, which is sort of a jazz and music performance that takes place in our beautiful um, glass-covered courtyard. So you almost feel like you're outside, but you're inside. So uh, it's a lovely space that we do a lot of public programs in. And our Take 5 program takes place um, in the afternoon from 5 to 7. And so sometimes following these tours, they'll uh, have people that participate in the tours will have the chance to stay uh, for a concert. And the music really ranges. It can be jazz. It can. They've done tributes to Ella Fitzgerald, uh, to Joni Mitchell, um, all sorts of things. One was celebrating women in jazz. Uh, they've done things from John Coltrane to Nina Simone and, and Leonard Cohen. I think one of my favorites is the U.S. Army Band. Uh, they have an 18-piece jazz ensemble that comes and does some concerts there. Which they're, they're just really fantastic musicians, um, and the music is great. It really um, gets everybody in a good mood, I think. What have blind and visually impaired patrons said about the tours, and are there going to be any future improvements? Um, in general, the, spot, the response is really positive um, from the people that come on the tours. Um, one woman said that, you know, she would come back in a split second to do more of what we were doing. 
and uh, that the tours were, were able to, in her words, sort of unlock uh, beauty to her again. She called the tour uh, pure joy in, in coming to one of these tours. Um, other folks, you know, one person said that they were kind of mad that they weren't able to experience art once they lost their vision mm-hmm. and that giving giving that opportunity back to them was, was just so valuable and beautiful. Um, so we've received some really good feedback. Um, also, we always get feedback uh, from the visitors about how we could improve, what we could do differently. So, you know, we're able to change the tours and even keep improving them from the feedback we get from visitors. Um, some of the hands-on things that Edmund mentioned, for example, we always try out different things, but some some things that we ask people to touch, whether pieces of fabric that might relate to the painting um, or different uh, types of artistic materials that they could touch a piece of, you know, an artist's brush or a palette, for example, um, we'll try those out and see, you know, is this helping you in any way experience the artwork? If not, we may stop using it. Um, but if they think it is helpful, we might, you know, sort of try out different things like that. So it's a good, you know, again, opportunity to always listen to our visitors and what they want and need and try to um, to follow their lead to improve our tours. Now, one of our listeners, Jesse Ray, R-A-Y-I, had a couple of suggestions for improvements to Smithsonian American Art Museum's tours. She asks if she can be notified about the tours further in advance and that they be scheduled early Friday afternoons so that she doesn't have to cancel on clients for her job on short notice and that she also doesn't want to have to travel to D.C. on the train on weekends that Saturday and Sunday. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, so we've tried to, you know, there's no perfect time for everybody. We've tried some different times to see what works. Right now we do the tours twice a month, um, as you mentioned. We have a weekend option and a weekday option. Um, so certainly uh, Friday afternoons might be a possibility, maybe during the summer. Um, she can also set up a tour if she wants to get in touch with us. Um, if she has a group of friends that want to set up a tour at any time, we can do that. If it's not at the prescribed time, we have, you know, are offering them for the public. Um, we do offer a notification system. She can sign up for email um, blasts that come out. So she'll get to know what uh, topics are being covered in the next month and hopefully plan from there. That sounds good. Thank you, Jesse, for sending in th- these suggestions. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. <laughs> How can our listeners sign up for the America Insight Tours and contact well, um, you if they, they have any questions? Sure. There's information on our website, which is um, www.americanart.si.edu. And under Access Programs, you'll find information about the America Insight um, Tours. So they can certainly look there, and it has information about when the upcoming dates are. Uh, you can also uh, email me at wilsoncl at si.edu, and I'd be happy to answer any questions or can place you on our mailing list um, or give you more information. Those will be going on to speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Carol, Edmund? Just thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak with you today and to speak uh, with your listeners Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for having us. And hopefully they'll come down and see the museum and the America Insight Tours, and we hope that our listeners will come check them out at the Smithsonian American Art Museum and enjoy the fabulous art museum experience that they'll never forget. Thanks so much for joining us today.
Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this show. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind, or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website. That's Speaking Out for the Blind. .weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org, and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash the dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Have you ever wanted to change the world? I just generally want to, you know, make life easier for people. Have you ever wanted to change yourself? I had to be willing to accept help when I needed it instead of thinking I could do everything on my own. Are you trying to make a difference? There's no reason that you as a blind person is any different from a sighted person. We're proud to announce a new series on Milestones called Successful Scholars, highlighting an ACB scholarship winner each week. They will inspire you. If something doesn't work, at a particular time, don't walk away from it. Just kind of come at it from a different angle. They will challenge you. You know, show them that they're wrong. Just go out and do what they say you can't do. They will motivate you. I'm a servant. I have to advocate for myself because no one else knows what I need but me. They will change the world with you. Sometimes I think it's easy to feel like you need to give up because things are getting really hard, but just take a step back and think about how far you've come. Tune in every Wednesday on ACB Radio Mainstream at 9 p.m. Eastern. For more information, go to acbmilestones.weebly.com. The American Council of the Blind has established the Legacy Society to honor and recognize individuals who have communicated their intentions to include ACB in their estate plans via a bequest or another type of planned gift. We want to acknowledge individuals for including ACB in their will while they are still living so that we can thank them for their commitment to perpetuating ACB's good work for years to come. Says ACB President Kim Charlson, more information about the Legacy Society and how you can help is available from Tom Tobin, Director of Development at ttobin, T-T-O-B-I-N, at acb.org, or by phone at 800-424-8666, option 5. 
Thank you for listening to ACB Radio and for considering ACB's future financial needs. ACB Radio.